Dear listener, whether any of you caught uh, Weekend America's program on Saturday where they took a look back at uh, 25 years after the hostage release, the the 440-day crisis that seemed to grip grip America. On last week's program, we spoke briefly with uh, researcher Barbara Honiger about that incident. She's going to return to us now to talk a little bit more in more detail about the October surprise. Welcome back, Barbara. Thank you very much. We basically uh, explained to people, a lot of whom I don't think were too familiar with this, the story, which surfaced originally, I believe, in your book, October Surprise, about the deal cut by Bill Casey and the Reagan admin- and the Reagan team, then-candidate Ronald Reagan, in, uh, I guess, late summer or fall of 1980, to make sure there was no sudden release of the hostages by which Jimmy Carter could gain favor of the voting public and perhaps win the 1980 election? Well, it wasn't perhaps in the election. I was at the very top level of the 1980 Reagan-Bush presidential campaign. I have inside knowledge and had inside knowledge that is in my book, October Surprise, which was published in 1989 by Tudor Press, and I highly recommend that everyone who's listening get it from your library and read it for yourself. It will blow your mind. But the bottom line is, I knew from inside the 1980 Reagan-Bush campaign that our polling apparatus in the Reagan-Bush campaign had determined that if Carter pulled off an October surprise, which meant bringing the hostages home in late October, he was going to win for sure, and, and Reagan and Bush would lose for sure. And there was a critical window, October 18th to 25th, according to the Reagan-Bush campaign polling. If Carter brought those hostages home beginning on October 18th, and any time up through the 25th he was going to win, Reagan was going to lose. So what happened? Carter was about to succeed in bringing the hostages home in a deal with the Khomeini regime. He had the authority to do so. He was president of the United States. And the Reagan-Bush campaign sent top emissaries to the Khomeini regime to, to interfere with the President of the United States' arrangements to release the hostages, and that was became known as the October Surprise. They succeeded, and they cut this deal. You, Khomeini, do not release the hostages before the election, before the election, which was November 4, 1980. You hold the hostages, and in exchange, we, the Reagan-Bush team, once we gain power and gain the White House, then we will send you the arms that you need to fight Saddam Hussein, who had already attacked Iran. And that right. was the that was the eight-year Iran-Iraq war. And that deal was cut. It was a treasonous deal. And indeed it was. I remember thinking it very odd at the time, on January 20th, 1980, when all of a sudden the hostages are let out. And I know that I read accounts later, uh, or originating with you and, and others, that these, these hostages were actually watching their Iranian guards look at their watch and then literally 
opening the cell doors when they knew Reagan had taken the oath of office. Yes. Now, that does strike one, in retrospect, as a little odd. Why wait till absolutely it's certain that Ronald Reagan is the president? Because once they'd won the election, it was, in essence, a done deal. There are two uh, historical answers to that question. The first is rather comical. Um, and uh, it turns out that he, at the October surprise meeting, the Iranians, who don't understand the uh, who didn't understand and still don't understand the American system, the electoral system, very well, they thought that the deal was to release the hostages immediately after Reagan won the election. In other words, at the very beginning of the transition period, right in early November. Okay. And they started to do that. Okay. And the Reagan-Bush campaign stopped them and said, oh my God, no, don't give Carter any credit, wait until we're in office. And that's in fact what happened. Wow. People don't understand. There's a recent book, I guess, was it Thomas, is it Menzies, Menzer, about all, all the Shah's men? And I, he yes, it's a wonderful book. And, and I think a lot of people don't know this history, that in 1953 there was a democratic elected government in Iran. They had yes, basically a, a constitutional monarchy where the, where the Shah really wasn't wielding a great deal of power. He was the king, but he wasn't really the, the man, you know, wasn't an absolute dictator. And we basically, we and the British basically stepped in to depose the duly elected government and make the Shah the king that he then was for the next 20-something years. That's correct. And that is the same Shah that was forced out of Iran by the Khomeini Revolution while the hostages were being held in 1979, leading up to the November 4, 1979 uh, election uh, that the October surprise deal was cut about. Uh, during that period of time, the Iranian students in the Khomeini regime were demanding the return of the Shah to Iran to face trial, and of course they would have executed him. And President Carter said no, uh, and he was, he was pressured to say no by Henry Kissinger. Well, of course, the Shah was allowed into the United States. He was given surgery in the United States. This infuriated the, uh, the Khomeini regime, and as a result, there was no way that they were going to release the hostages to Carter anyway, because they hated him for that. Barbara, do you give much credence to the reports we've got recently that a couple of the hostages think that the current president of Iran was one of the people, one of the students that actually took them hostage? Not only credence, it's, it's worse than that. The fact is that two or three of the hostages, who I, of, the, of the American hostages now released, whom I know very well, especially Chuck Scott, and at the end of my book, October Surprise, the very end of my book is my interview with Chuck Scott. Chuck Scott was probably the most important hostage held. And Chuck Scott is among those who not only claim but know that the current president of Iran, this, this radical extremist who is calling for not only the destruction of Israel and wiping it off the map, but he's going to hold a, a conference um, about, uh, you know, a so-called scientific conference to so-called prove the Holocaust never happened. Wow. This man did not physically hold the hostages. He wasn't that low level. According to Chuck Scott, he is absolutely certain from his voice that he was one of the supervisors of the hostage takers. I see. He was one of the leaders of the students who held the hostages, including Chuck Scott. Well, there's recent talk now about hostages and how we, uh, there was talk about, uh, well, someone that's currently hostage in, in Iraq. The Bush administration said, we don't, we don't deal with hostages, we, we put them out of business, which seems a little odd in looking back in the retrospect uh, uh, of what took place. 
subsequent to the 1980 election deal, what later became known as Iran-Contra, where there was, in fact, a lot of dealing going on of military parts in efforts to free hostages, I believe, in Lebanon. Yes, that's true, but, but let's go back further to the October surprise. The ultimate proof that the American government does deal over hostages is the October surprise. Just because Reagan and Bush weren't yet in office, they dealt with Khomeini in order to gain office. That was the ultimate treason. And once they were in office, they continued dealing for hostages in the mid-1980s, uh, the additional hostages that were taken in Lebanon. Well, were you surprised, Barbara, when there was such a big stink? Well, there was such a—we've uh, talked about this in our program. Uh, we had a special program last year when, upon D Gary Webb's unfortunate suicide. Yeah. When he, when he dredged up a lot of stuff that had come out at the time about— that whole Iran-Contra milieu and how, as part of it, shipping arms to the Contras, shipping weapons to, to, uh, to Khomeini, taking the money, reinvesting it in arms, and then shipping cocaine to America, how, how that was known during the time of the hearings in the late 80s, and yet yes, it was. when Webb brought it up again, he took such flack for it. What Gary Webb focused on was the cocaine side, right. the, the, the CIA, the federal, U.S. federal government running cocaine into the United States. They have been doing that since the days of OSS, the predecessor to the CIA. Yeah. They have been doing this for over 50 years. Well, so, I believe the book written in 1972, now considered a classic, uh, The Politics of Heroin in Southeast Asia, they attributed a lot of the, the movement of uh, international um, heroin, uh, opiates, to intelligence agencies, something that's been well established in the, in the meantime. Right. Now, it was that Peter Dale Scott's book. That was McCoy. Oh, that was McCoy, yeah. Yeah, but, okay. yeah, we're going to try and get Peter Dale Scott on the program in the near future because I know he's covered a lot of this stuff in, in, in great detail. Definitely. And P Peter, Peter Dale Scott is really the base, in my opinion. Uh, Gary Webb did magnificent, detailed work about the, um, the CIA-mediated shipment of cocaine into the Los Angeles area. But Peter Dale Scott is really your kind of world expert. Well, we have him in the pipeline. We're going to see Good. if we can't get him on. Uh, I guess my last question to you would be that, you know, this is something we, could, we couldn't do justice to in an hour. I know we're, we're giving it short shrift, but uh, the current Atlantic Monthly article on AQ Khan, the mastermind who's supplying, well, the big issue right now is what are we going to do about Iran and their nuclear program? Uh, what do you think about the fact that, you know, AQ Khan, through our Pakistani so-called allies, is the guy that's supplying the Iranians to begin with? Well, it's, it's more direct than that. Um, there is a, a new book which you, everyone must go out and read. It's James Risen's famous new book called State of War. Okay. And in the final chapter, you learn that the CIA personally, through a cutout, gave the nuclear plans to Iran. Gave them. Trying to set up Iran. I think we do need to read that and come back to the subject. Maybe, maybe, maybe you can help us do that, Barbara. I would be happy to. Well, it's, it's a pleasure having you back. I, I know that we don't have that much time, but, but we, I think we covered some, some topics we needed to today, and maybe we can flesh out this material uh, in the weeks to come. Yes, I would hope so, and I particularly would like to focus uh, in, in a future program on the critical role of uh, a top Khomeini associate, top Iranian Khomeini associate, Abu Sharif, who was a critical player in the October Surprise and who came out with a bombshell proving the October Surprise, literally on Election Day 
U.S. Presidential Election Day, November 2nd, 2004. Barbara Hodiger, thanks for speaking with us again. No problem. All right, we are running out of time, unfortunately, and I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, who the world's worst dictator might be. That was the, uh, the feature on Parade Magazine article. It's an annual article by David Wallachinsky. Wallachinsky, of course, was the genius behind the People's Almanac, which were quite, uh, and also the Book of Lists, two things I think that everyone should have in their home uh, library. Leading the list this year, as he did last year, Omar al-Bashir, the leader of the Sudan, of course. Sudan is uh, currently undergoing a genocide, where at least 180,000 civilians have been killed in Darfur, in western Sudan. Uh, we need to do this list uh, proper justice, particularly the, the meteoric rise of Robert Mugabe of Zimbabwe to the number four position. What's most curious about the list to me is number six and number seven positions. Two of our best pals out there in the world, King Abdullah of Saudi Arabia at number seven and Hu Jintao of China at number six. I don't know whether you noticed, but uh, King Abdullah went to China a few days ago, seeing that China is the world's premier future market for oil, much more so than the United States. This is very interesting. Uh, three of the main players in the world stage us, Saudi Arabia, and China, three, three corners of a triangle. Well, what if we get cut out? Got to tell you, politics does make strange bedfellows. When I, uh, when I got a stamp in my passport back in 1988 for China, I was warned that I could thereafter not use that passport to go to Saudi Arabia. How things have changed. We'll try to talk about this on next week's show, but you should note that Fidel Castro couldn't even make the top ten. He came in at 15, uh, whereas Pervez Musharraf, our good buddy in Pakistan, came in 17th. We should note that that list is for living dictators and that uh, the legacy of uh, someone who passed away a quarter century ago um, uh, came up with the obituary a couple weeks back of Yao Wen Yuan. Mr. Yao had been the last living member of the what were called the Gang of Four. Uh, what happened was, uh, in 1976, a, a month after the death of uh, Mao Zedong in China, Mr. Yao and the rest of the gang were arrested in a bloodless coup and they were charged with counter-revolutionary activities. It was felt by observers that uh, by doing this, this allowed the Communist Party to avoid taking responsibility for the disastrous policies of its founding father, Chairman Mao. The Gang of Four was created as a symbol by the post-Mao leadership to pass off the burdens of the Cultural Revolution. Anyway, that's it for today's show. Our thanks once again to Donna Abadoni, the host of Morning Edition on Capital Public Radio, your local NPR choice, as well as pilot Vladimir Zaravika and researcher Barbara Honiger. This program was produced by Edmund McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. Stay tuned now for Todd to follow, and we'll see you next Thursday at 5 o'clock.
not a real solution Well, you know We don't love to see the plan You ask me for a contribution Well, you know We all do what we can But if you want money for people with minds that hate All I can tell you is, brother, you have to wait. Anyone, anyhow. 